With the lanky guys. Hello, everybody. Hey, thanks for coming today. Welcome to the podcast. This is Scott Powell and Father Peter Musset. We're the lanky yeah, guys. Thank you for introducing introducing yourself to me. I'm it's sorry. It's really nice to get to meet you. Hello, I'm Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Musset. Good to meet you. Good to meet you, too. And it's good to meet everybody else who's decided to tune in today to join us for Del Fuego de Lank. The heat of the, the fire of the lank? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or rather from Dude, the fire I, of the lank. You conjugated it weird. Hey, you know, um, you know that I actually own the URL delfuego.org? Really? Yeah. That is I decided, very surprising. Yeah. I always wanted to have like a little magazine that was like Del Fuego con queso. The fire with cheese? Yeah. Of the fire with cheese. That's cool, man. I'm not going to argue it. Because well, this is the thing is that like what we should have in our bellies is fire, man. We should have the passion. Of cheese. But but no, but we need a little bit of cheese just to like offset it. It's kind of like the essence of lanky guys. What's the metaphor of cheese? What's the cheese metaphor? Well, like if you said that something was cheesy, yeah. then you'd be like, it's cheesy. All right. So the cheese, our cheese just kind of, okay. All right. Do you think that you're cheesy, Scott? I can be. Yeah, so me too. Some people think I'm cheesy. <laughs> Do you think I'm cheesy? Have you? Um, I do. I think at times you have demonstrated yourself to have the cheese. There's no shame in cheese. I'm a dad. Dude, I'm allowed to have cheese. Dude, that's the truth. And I'm a dad, and I'm allowed to have cheese too. Amen to that. This is this some feels super awkward. Are medically, are some people are are like able to um, not have cheese though, but that's the dietary restriction, which is a very different thing. Yeah, no, I'd not. We're not talking about the uh, casing issue. Lactose, Dude. lactose. All right. Hey. Hey. Good to see you. So we're I not with a, each other, which always makes this awkward. I am at Good Leaders, Good Shepherds uh, in the Colorado Springs Diocese, which always feels very different to yeah. me. There's going to be a new bishop in the Pueblo Diocese, which is also very different to who, me, too. Who is a CU alum? Do you know that? I do. That was my homily this last weekend. Oh. I was at the morning masses. Sorry. You were going to tell that in the story? No, I was at the morning masses, so I didn't hear your homily. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, because because it says uh, the 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 masses last weekend. It said it's too little for you to be my service. I'm going to make you a light to the nations, yeah. and that's what I was telling everybody at St. Thomas Aquinas. That, nice, dude. This is the second bishop from our midst. Dude. I know it's crazy. That's pretty cool. I'm digging it, man. You I'm digging dig it. it. You should dig it. Um, you know what I'm digging? What are you digging? The scriptures for this Sunday. How's that for a segue? <laughs> Dude, that's a sweet segue. Well, you know, can you tell me what they are? I haven't read them yet. Seriously? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. cool. Yeah, no, so we are in the third Sunday of Ordinary Time. This is crazy, by the way. These are so tightly wound together that it blows my mind. And the second reading this week happens to have a really profound link to all of it, which is in in a more explicit way than it usually does, which is crazy. Well, it's pretty wild to realize, like, the church is rare to do this, where they take the first reading, which is Isaiah 8, 23, 9 to 3, yeah. and they incorporate it with the gospel, which is Matthew yeah. 4, 12 to 23. So directly. So directly. And then the second reading, which is 1 Corinthians 1 through 10 through 13, verses 17, 
And then the Psalm 27, 1, 4, 13 to 14. It's crazy when the church is all sorts of awesome and actually does the reading that Jesus references for once. It's like, it's kind of a miracle in a certain sense. It kind of is. I'm sort of, so did you just give our readings? Are we all set with that part of the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I was just trying to like, bit, but... like, yeah, well, because well, we had to talk about the first reading associated with the gospel. I don't know, I'm feeling a little bit loose, you know, just like ready to kind of be spontaneous. I think I know why. <laughs> it's um, because I'm taking the leadership workshop. Oh, that's yes, why. that's that's it. That's what it is. And I'm back in Boulder, incidentally, for all of you who didn't know that. Um, which, you, mean, which means that you're bolder than normal. Oh, <laughs> well done, uh, Father Peter. I'm see, little, how, see, see what I did right there? I see it. You know what I'm fascinated by liturgically? Talk to me. I'm fascinated that we are still in Isaiah. So the liturgical seasons have shifted. So we're now in ordinary time, but we're still in the same first reading that we've been in all through Christmas season and a lot of Advent. So we're just in I was kind of, I was kind of fascinated by that myself. I was like, dude, are we ever going to leave Isaiah? No, no. <laughs> so I just get to recycle the same thing I've said for the last like eight weeks. <laughs> so we'll get there in a second. So there's, dude, um, how old was Isaiah? This is what I want to know. Do you know how old Isaiah was when he wrote this? Well, the book spans most of his or much of his life. That's the thing about the book of Isaiah. It spans this ridiculously broad time period. Um, so he, well, let's see. Uh, I, I don't know exactly. He started probably when he was in his 30s, and he probably went through close to his death. I mean, this is a long book. It covers a lot of time. He ministers under like three different kings in Jerusalem. Dude, that's that's pretty intense. So this is like everything that he did in his life had to come back to this book. I wonder what yeah. this manuscript was like when he was like sitting there writing it. I don't know. Probably long. I don't know. Well, this is the very <laughs> first part of it, so he's like got he's got some stuff to do. Yeah. Yeah, here, okay, so I have I've got a beef. Do you have your Bible in front of you? I have my Bible out. I feel like I feel like you just asked me at a Protestant service. Okay, everybody, right. get your Bibles out. Open and up your I Bibles. like it, man. I I feel good. It makes me feel evangelical. Yeah, it should. Good. Well, here's a problem. Um, read to me from your Bible, Isaiah chapter eight, verse twenty-three. Okay, Isaiah. Let me let me get there. It's going to take me a second. Um, you rat. Read read Isaiah chapter eight, chapter verse eight. twenty-three versus there is no 23 oh what do you know dude hold on man you can't do that what do you mean i can't do it the church did it i didn't do did it the, how did the how did they do that for That's some like reason this special... happened a couple weeks ago too remember that some for some reason the nab has a last a final verse in chapter eight that the other translations do not so i don't know what that is but but in in the rsv and and things like the niv and most other bibles um, chapter 8 verse 23 is actually chapter 9 verse 1 which is confusing so if you guys read this on your own have your own Bible don't be confused if there is no chapter 8 verse 23 I mean th this is the thing we always have to keep this in mind and, and Isaiah is a good example of this all of scripture is inspired by God right chapter Amen. divisions and verse divisions are not inspired by God this is is some poor monk who is trying to, to compartmentalize these things to make it easier to read for us and easier to look at and easier to, to sift through. So the fact there's a, a little discrepancy here um, is sort of weird, but well, yeah. And I mean, just for the, for the listening people out there, they want to know that it was probably in the 12th century that the, that the Bible verses and chapter verses came in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
So, and they're not inspired. So if there's a little bit of a break between one chapter and another, and you know, I don't know, we, we kind of get tripped up because I mean, we're so used to if one chapter ends, you expect that one thing's going to end and now something new is going to begin. But that's not always the case in scripture. Sometimes one thing will continue on through multiple chapters. And those are just kind of there to help us kind of break things up because our minds can't handle huge, massive chunks of things at a time. So anyway, kind of weird. But regardless... Regardless, well, we have uh, we have this reading that's get like taking us to Zebulun, Zebulun and Naphtali, which, which we is, just talked we about. Were ta- a, we were just yeah, just like a week ago, uh, a couple weeks ago. But yeah, was it a week ago? It was recent. I don't know how long have you how long have you had a week back, Scott? Since uh, my sophomore year in high school. No, since about a week back. That's the right answer. But I ha- I do have a week back because of a track and field injury. Oh, <laughs> way to rub it in, Dude, man. What, way to make me what, feel what bad. What kind of what kind of track and field? Go Fairview. Uh, high jump. Oh man, I I'm landed sorry poorly they... on the mat and it shot me into the asphalt. Oh. Anyway, that's a story for another time. So I have a week back. Thanks a lot for rubbing it in. Go Fairview track. Hey, you're well. <laughs> well, I'll rub your back anytime for you, just to make you feel better. I don't know if you should have said that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I said that. You're said a good leader, good shepherds, man. No, it's cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, dude, so Isaiah, launch us into Zebulun and Naphtali, dude. All right. So Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, well, or chapter 9, verse 1, depending on how you look at it. So here's the thing. Um, let's just read this because there's something interesting grammatically that's going on. It says, first the Lord degraded the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the end he has glorified the seaward road, the land west of the Jordan, the district of the Gentiles. Okay. So where we are in history, when Isaiah is writing this, the northern kingdom has just recently fallen. So the northern tribes are being obliterated by Assyria. It's actually happening as he's writing this. Assyria is actively attacking. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. What were the first? So geographically speaking, um, Assyria came in from the northern part of the empire, or from, from the north. They came into the land of Israel from the north. They crossed the border. They traveled slowly southward past the Sea of Galilee. Um, eventually, you know, down into Jerusalem. They didn't fully defeat Jerusalem, but Babylon later on would. So that means the first tribes to be wiped out when they come in are Zebulun and Naphtali. Those are the first two tribes, northernmost, that kind of get wiped out first. So what Isaiah is reminding the people of is that the Lord degraded, or rather, it's not the Lord degrading them, it's the Lord allowing these things to happen um, to Zebulun and Naphtali. It's kind of like hardness of heart. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Um, they've they've chosen this and God has allowed it. So it seems like God is actually doing it. But God is is author of everything, so he allows what he allows. So Zebulun and Natali, they're the first to go down. But then we'll look at what it says next. So it's reminding us of that. That happened first. But in the end, he has glorified the seaward road. That's the route that the Assyrians would have taken. The land west of the Jordan, the district of the Gentiles, this land up north. What's interesting is that the uh, is that Isaiah puts it in the past tense. Did you catch that? He puts something that has not happened yet in the past tense, saying, in the end, he has glorified all of these lands, which I just find fascinating. Which means that Isaiah is probably having some sort of prophetic vision of the eternal landscape, that he's actually transcending time and space, meaning that that there's some sort of consummation and some sort of eschatological vision that he's having. Exactly, and and he which which simply means he knows that God has won the battle. It's done because God is God and God sees the eternal landscape. Yeah, that's yes. Yeah, there's a here's a little shout out. I want to give a shout out to my friend um, Marie Miller. Do you know Marie Miller, the musician? I 
I do not know if I know her. Oh my I, gosh. I can't I can't place the name. She's awesome. If you haven't if you guys haven't listened to Marie Miller, um check her out. She's you can find her on iTunes. She has records. She's slowly becoming big. She's going to be a big name soon, but check her out. She's awesome. But Marie Miller in one of her songs has this great line. I always wonder what this particular song is about and I can't think of the name of it. I think it actually might be about the Maccabees, but there's this line that says, "Do we not know we're not brothers, we are not so young to know that the battle has already been we're not so young that we don't know the battle has already been won or something like that. And it's all, whenever I hear it, it's this, it's just this beautiful, you know, whatever suffer, suffering, whatever struggles we have, the battle has already been won in the end. And we can't forget that even though we're in the midst of the strife that God has actually won this, which I'm just reminded of that in this, because even though they're in the midst of this suffering right now, we know that God has already been victorious because that's who God is. And so although we have to deal with it, we know the end result or we know what he's going to do. We don't know how he's going to do it, and that's what Matthew is going to show us, but we know that he will, which I just think is kind of beautiful. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So it goes on, then anguish has taken wing, anguish has taken wing, dispelled its darkness, for there is no gloom where there was now distress, uh, for there is no gloom um, where but where there-, there is... <laughs> where but now I'm trying Where to read over there my was distra- Dude, um, the people who walked in darkness thought. have seen a great light upon those who dwelt in the land of gloom a light has shown you have brought them abundant joy and great rejoicing again I love that all this is in the past tense because it's yeah. it's almost as if it's meant to be read in the time of Jesus that look this has already happened Isaiah sees it already having happened even though it hasn't happened yet because he's seeing like you said this sort of eschatological vision that God will tie this up in the end and this is that famous. God, I, but they're in the middle yeah, of it right I, now. They're in the middle of it. And and this is, this is my question, though. is like, I don't remember what the day of Midian is because it hmm. says you have smashed on the day of Midian. Yeah, the, the day of Midian's defeat. It's a reference to Gideon um, back in the book of Judges when Gideon defeated um, the, the armies of Midian and broke their dominion over Israel. So it, it's, it's a reference to the story in Judges about when God victor- was victorious for them in the time of Gideon when he defeated this this very powerful, seemingly insurmountable army. And so it's reminding with, them of With that. very, very few men. Exactly, exactly right. Even though Gideon turned out to be a jerk in the end. But he had some good points. Yeah. <laughs> I always wonder if the people yeah, who put the Gideon Bibles in hotels, if they ever actually read the end of the story. Because he ends up a terrible, terrible person. I wouldn't have named my Bible after him. <laughs> anyway. Well, I, I uh, wouldn't either, but there you go. That's, but that's on your recommendation. Cause, Thanks, man. But yeah. Well, so, so Midian, Midian's going to be totally confounded. With, this, is, this is the thing is that we have to remember how, how Gideon won. He had a bunch of trumpets and through the echo and the sound of the trumpets, which is a sign of the eschatological victory. Isn't that right? Yeah. Why are you smiling at me? <laughs> I'm just I'm doing a little rap in my head about Midian defeated Gideon or Gideon defeated Midian. It was stupid, <laughs> and I wish I hadn't said it. Now, now I'm regretting it. Dude, I'm I'm really happy you I'm did regretting. that. On, on the <laughs> but, dude, this is the thing: is that the the trumpets will sound at the end of time, and then you will smash the taskmaster, which we know eschatologically is Satan, and that that he is he he got punked and he's done, and that is the best. <laughs> he did get punked. And this is done. Yeah, no, that's ex- that's absolutely it. But again, you're reading this in the time of Isaiah, and you see that this is happening, and you're taking it, okay, I hope that Isaiah is right, but I have no idea what that will look like or how that's actually going to play itself out until, what, Jesus shows up and we get the gospel reading from today, which is beautiful because you, you get the problem statement in Isaiah and then how that's actually solved in Matthew. 
Well, the only way we're going to get there is through the psalm in 1 Corinthians. So what's, what do we got going on in the psalm today? All right, Psalm 27, um, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Um, again, this is this is, this is uh, there's you know some scholars actually talk about there being two different parts to Psalm 27. There's the first okay. part, which which is applicable to Isaiah. The first part of the psalm is really about the psalmist's observations. I see that the Lord is good. I know that He is is wise. I know that He is good and caring. And then it looks to the second part looks to the future. So because the Lord is my light and fal- salvation, who shall I fear? You know, I I know that He will bring me salvation in the land of the living. I shall see the bounty of the Lord in the future. So it starts off with saying, "This is what I know about God." And number two, this is what I then see Him doing and can trust that he will do in the future. So it's it's like a psalm to be read in the time of Isaiah in a certain sense. Does that make sense? Absolutely. This is one of those things that like I, I think that our generation suffers from in, in, in this really different way in which our previous generations didn't suffer from. And by I say our generation, I say the generation of the church yeah. is that the question was posed in antiquity forever. I mean, this has been this has been the human question. Where is God? What is salvation? Yeah. How is this going to be? And they're setting it up, and it is like a profound difficulty to look for this and to seek and to search. And whereas we have it all, mm-hmm. we it's been revealed fully in Jesus Christ. And mm-hmm. um, and one of the things I always love to say is there's nothing more laborious than an answer to a question you have not asked. And laborious. so as we're, as it's very laborious. And so that's where, like why this question of the Psalm is like, you know what? I long for the ability to be with God, to dwell in his house, to have the, to have these answers and to be with him in the, in the kingdom of God. Yeah. But we, we won't have that longing unless we actually have the question. And I think that that's, yeah. That's really, the, the, that's in some ways the big task of our age is this, is to pose the question. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. And and just to remind the culture that there is a question to be answered, which yeah. is up for debate for a lot of people, unfortunately. But if you... Well, that's... Did, yeah, the uh, religion is is apathy in these in this age. But that's why I think we need. I was having a great conversation with our focus missionaries yesterday about how unique Boulder is unique, and you, ministry in Boulder is not like ministry in other places. I don't think because we have to approach, we have to remind people of their question in a new way and real get them to realize that. Look, there is brokenness in the world. There's a reason that nobody fully feels at home here, right? This is what C.S. Lewis kept driving toward. If there wasn't a heaven or if there's not something beyond this life, how come nobody on earth is content with their lives? How come we all are restless in a certain sense? There is a question. We just don't know always how to recognize that question. So if we can point to the fact that, look, there is suffering. There is something that's missing from my life. There is a time when I look in the mirror and I don't like what I see. If if we have a recognition of what our lives ought not be, that tells us that there is something built into us that knows what our lives ought to be. But until we kind of address that and make people realize that, look, but there actually is a question that's burning within you, even if you haven't addressed it, then they're not going to see the weight of the answer, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So. I, I just thought, I, I just bought a new jacket from Triple Ought Design, which is very <laughs> Trinitarian and totally awesome. That you ought to have bought it. I ought to have bought it. I, you know what? That's the, you know, that's just how it is. But yeah, that's, that's well done. Let's get into Thanks. Corinthians. Okay. Here's what I, because you're feeling loose, you still feeling loose? Dude, I'm feeling loose. I'm feeling like, I'm feeling like ready. At like, oh yeah, you just put your hands up, dude. Like, I just felt like, boom. Sky pie five. Here we go. That's, 
that's my man. All right, here's what I'd like to do then. Believe it or not, Father Peter, I would like to skip the second reading for the moment and come back to it after the gospel. Oh, dude. I, okay, let's do this, baby. What do you think? I, 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 give me five. All right. Ooh. You're loose, right? Dude, high-fiving on Skype is really fun, by the way. If you guys haven't um, had a chance to, uh, or an opportunity to try to do that, I highly recommend it. Or making a toast. Oh, it, the making, making a toast is also highly effective. We did that earlier. All right. So Matthew 4. Here's what we're, Do we have the exact same glass? We do. Did you bring one from home? <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh. It just happened to be that way. Because I'm in your home. All right. Anyway. Okay. So Matthew 4. Now, this is one of those. Okay. Okay. Here. Okay. Okay. This is exciting. This is real exciting. So this is one of those Sundays <laughs> where we have two different options for the gospel reading. You can either do the, the short version or the long version. And, and I know you what your default the long position version. is. Yeah, you're always the long. Because if you don't do the long version, you're going to miss the major one of the major connections with the second reading. Okay, so you ready for this? Oh, okay. man. Now talk to me because we got the first reading very well defined in this first part. But we do. So let's dude, just re- I, I'm so excited. I love scripture. All right, so let's recap this. So, so Matthew 4, 12. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, so this is the, the beginning part of Matthew. This is really right before Jesus begins his public ministry in earnest. It's right before the Sermon on the Mount. So, so far in Matthew, we've read about the genealogy. We had the birth narrative. We've had Jesus's baptism just took place. And now we're up, he's about to launch into his ministry, qua ministry, right? The, the real thing. So when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. Now, where's Galilee? Galilee is in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. It's near there. Zebulun and Naphtali are in the land of Galilee. But it's north, right? So he leaves. Does that make? Yeah. You see him? Oh, Go yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm tracking with you now. Okay. So, yeah, he's near Zebulun of Tali. He's around the Sea of Galilee, though. It's north, though. So he goes up north. He left Nazareth. He went to live in Capernaum by the sea, by the Sea of Galilee, in the region, guess what, of Zebulun and Naphtali. Why? And you're well, reading this. Well, 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 here, listen to this for a second. In a different translation, it says okay. um, he dwelt in Capernaum, which is on the seacoast, which is actually hearkening back to the first reading. Seacoast sea coast in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the seacoast, it says that, um, it says, the seaward road. The seaward road. Nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what does Jesus yeah, yeah. do? He takes the seaward road the other way, the other direction. Okay. Oh, so instead yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Assyria coming down to the south, he's going up to the north toward them. So there he is, and he does this, Matthew reminds you, just in case you didn't catch it in Isaiah, to fulfill what the prophet had said. What? Zebul- land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, or the, or in other words, what, the seaward road, Um. Uh, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Those dwelling in a land overshadowed by death, a light has risen. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here's the thing. When Assyria came in, so I mean, the, the Hebrews saw this as the beginning of their exile. So exile begins, what? When Assyria comes in from the north and begins to wipe out Zebulun, Naphtali, then Capernaum, then the rest of the Galilee, then Samaria, then eventually Babylon comes in and does the same thing to Judah and Jerusalem. All of it culminating in the the overthrow of Jerusalem, right? So what's Jesus doing? 
he goes north to Zebulun and Naphtali because he is tracing the exact same route that the exile traced. He goes where the exile began, up to Zebulun and Naphtali. He goes to Capernaum. He goes to Samaria in the Gospel of John. He makes his way south through Judea, and he culminates his entire mission where? In Jerusalem, where the exile culminates. So, well, here's what's confusing. Hold on, Scott. So this is crazy because what? It, like he's actually imitating the tr- the Assyria, which would have then conquered. So th- that's weird. Yeah, he's not doing it opposite. He's actually taking the trail of the of the of the assailants who would actually come down. But he's undoing what they did. You know, he's taking the and exact so he, same trail. He's taking the exact same trail. So, but so he's so but he's he, binding what was broken. Yeah, I mean, th- this is the thing. This is what he's going to get into in the, as the Gospels go on, is this fact that, contrary to what we might all think, Assyria was not the problem. Babylon wasn't the problem. Rome wasn't the problem. Egypt wasn't the problem. It's They're symptomatic of the problem, which is that evil has actually conquered us, so to speak. So what is Jesus doing? He's doing the same thing that Assyria and Babylon are doing. He is going up to the north, and he is conquering he is binding the strong man, and he is casting him out. In the Gospel of Mark, I'm starting a class in the Gospel of Mark tonight, and the first thing that Jesus does publicly in the Gospel of Mark is cast out demons. That's what he has come to do. He says he's come to bind and pillage, basically, and take back what's rightfully his. So he's doing precisely what Assyria is doing. He's just doing it against a different enemy, and he's binding and destroying and plundering the evil one, and he's doing it in the exact same route. And he's going to culminate all that on the cross in Jerusalem on a hill, which is where all the action happened in the Old Testament. Dude, that's the best. Yeah. So that's the story, and that, that's really cool. Neat connection with the Old Testament. This is great. But then the church randomly throws in this next part of the, of the gospel, which a lot of priests, I'm sure, will skip. But he says this. As he was walking by the sea, it, it's like this. Um, this it, you get the broad vision, and then all of a sudden we zoom in on one particular scene, right? So as he was we walking little, by the sea of Galilee. We get a little Galilee, detail of what this walking is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, good. And he said to them, come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they <laughs> left their nets. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> Don't be allergic to discipleship. All right. oh. oh yeah that was a good one all right um, oh well well done i ca- saw what you did right there. thanks man so they were casting their net into the sea they were fishermen and he said to them come after me i'm like you fishers of men at once they left their nets they followed him he walked along from there and he saw two other brothers james the son of zebedee and his brother john they were in a mat with their father zebedee mending their nets and he called to them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. He went around all the Galilee, teaching their synagogues, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and cursing every disease and illness among the people. This is Matthew's little insight of him binding and pillaging the evil one. He's proclaiming the kingdom. He's curing disease and illness. In other words, he's showing, look, I am Lord over everything, even illness, even infirmity, which the understanding was that all illness and infirmity is tied to sin in some capacity. Not that necessarily you're, if you're sick, it means you sinned, but the fact that there is a broken world means that things in the world are broken. Jesus is showing he's master over all of that stuff. So it's cool. It's interesting. But then now let's go back to the first reading. All right. I Well, hold on, hold on. But, but before, before we go back yeah. to the first reading, 
I actually think that when you, the geography itself of Galilee is, um, you know, because Jesus, Jesus grew up, he traveled even when he was younger. I mean, probably went around with Joseph doing stonework and carpentry and stuff as, as he was uh, in the region for different people. And so the, there's actually an inlet in the Sea of Galilee that has this uh, warm water inlet where a lot of the fishermen would go and mend their nets because the, there's water pouring in that's warm. Uh-huh. And there's a place that's right above it. that they, it's, a, it's called like the eye. It's like this little cave where you can sit and you can watch fishermen mend their nets in this warm water inlet into the Sea of Galilee. And so Ooh. it's speculated that, that there's this really super cool place where Jesus would have been able to watch and to see everything that was happening on the Sea of Galilee. Ooh. All right. That's yeah, profound because of what's going to happen in Corinthians. All right. Okay. So this is the teaching. So, so we saw the prophecy. We saw the psalm, which is basically recapping in song the prophecy, right? And it's fulfillment. Mm-hmm. We saw the gospel, which means we saw the fulfillment of this prophecy. We see Jesus actually doing what Isaiah said he would do. And now we get the so what. So we've, we fast forward to this church in a city called Corinth in Greece. And it says this. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, which are, they're struggling. They're having a hard time because they're jerks. And he says, basically, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say and that there be no divisions among you. Do you know what the word for divisions there is? Uh, no. I think you do. Schizo? Schizo. So literally, there no. be no tears, rips of the fabric among you, but rather that you be, guess what? Bound? United? United or bound, but you know what the word is in Greek? It's the same word that's used in Matthew for mending up of nets. No. Yes, it's a sewing word. So what happened? There's rips in the, in the fiber of the church, so what do we have to do? We have to sew them back up, just like the disciples were doing before Jesus met them. So be oh, sewn dude, back you're up. Blowing my mind. I know. But you wouldn't catch that, number one, if we didn't do the gospel first. Number two, if you skip that part. So be be mended back up in the same purpose. Um, for it has been re- so you're like a net that can actually catch fish. Because if you have a bunch of holes in your net, you're actually not gonna do anything. And I think that's part of our problem in our church is that not that God has failed, but we have a bunch of tears and rips in our church and we fight with each other and we disagree with each other and we air all of our dirty laundry. So why can't we minister effectively as a church? Because we have a bunch of holes in the net. Dude, and it also describes the nature of the uh, of the uh, episcopate about who the apostles are as their fishers yeah. taking the net of their holy people, binding them together in one heart and one mind, uniting yes. them and, and not letting these divisions to be taken place, and then utilizing them to draw up the nations. Yes, absolutely. That's it. And who is who are the Corinthians? They are actually the nations. They are the Gentiles. They're the Goim, primarily. So what's their problem? Dude, you, wow. <laughs> it's cool, isn't it? So what it's do they so need cool. bound like, up specifically? I'm, well, he says it's been, um, well, it says it's been well, reported well, to be my Chloe's people. That they're, so Chloe is probably a house church leader in Corinth. And so yeah. she's telling Paul what's going on. There's a lot of problems in the church. And so he says, I mean, which, each of you is saying, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Kephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified? You were you baptized in the name of Paul? Um, what's going on in Corinth? But, 
Well, this is the, this is the thing is, yeah, we have to be mindful that this is the cultural situation that we find in Corinth is that um, it, they're used to having all of these speakers come through and these uh, these philosophers. And what they would do is they would attach yes. themselves to these yes. kind of like uh, celebrities and they would say, man, yes. I am all about the Broncos. I'm all about these folks. I've got this team. This is my team. And so they're actually acting out of what the, is the, the typical cultural expression. Yes, that would be going on in Corinth, but they're doing it in the church, which is which is it's actually not the right um, uh, enculturation that the church needs to do. Well, absolutely, and and I mean we do use use the Broncos analogy, which is fine, but I mean we have this in the church. I mean, how many times have you heard somebody be like, "Oh, I I'm a great Catholic because I listen to Scott Hahn a bunch, and I love Scott Hahn." But he is not the church. Or, you know, I'm, well, I'm more of a Pope Francis Catholic. No, I'm more of a Pope Benedict Catholic. Oh, I'm a JP2 Catholic, right? No, you're a Catholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and look, at, look at the irony, though. Who are they putting in their list of their favorite speakers? Who's the last one in the list? Uh, um, Paul. No, the last one. Um, I really dig Paul. Kephas? I really like Apollos. I really like Kephas. I really like... Christ. Christ. They've relegated Christ, Jesus Christ to one of these great apostles or one of these great speakers or teachers. And he's saying, are you crazy? Are you nuts? And then he goes on to say, I'm so thankful I didn't baptize you freak shows because you'd start worshiping me. He's like, I'm not Christ. I wasn't crucified for you. You weren't baptized in my name. Christ didn't send me, I mean, read this in context. He didn't send me just to baptize. I mean, anybody could baptize you. And any priest is any any person is able to do that. He sent me to preach the gospel so I could point you to the one you're being baptized into, not just the fact that you're rallying around this. Oh, I'm so great because I got baptized by so and so. No, it doesn't make any difference who you got baptized by. You were baptized into Christ. That's the point. So what are the tears? What are the rips in the fabric of their net? It's that they become a personality cult. That's their particular rip. And we you know take your pick of all the rips in the church. But this is what they're struggling with that they need to mend back up. And actually, let me just read the last part. It says, For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with wisdom of human eloquence. Ironically, Paul is one of the most brilliant, eloquent writers ever. I mean, his books are profound, but he's not putting his weight in that. He says, Not with wisdom of, of human eloquence, so that the cross of Christ might be emptied of its meaning is what it says in the NAB. What it says in Greek is simply so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied, period. Which I think is a much more powerful way of saying that. You are emptying the cross of Christ by lumping all these personalities and following the wrong people. Which is a pretty profound thing to be accused of. Yeah, no no joke. And and again, what is Christ doing in the Gospels? He's going up to the land of the Gentiles, who are the Corinthians. So he has mended you together. Look, this is the story of him doing it. And now you have the gall to rally around other personalities other than him, whose job it is to lead you to him and do all these different things. You're emptying what he's yeah. done in a certain sense. Yeah, and, and, and they're doing it on natural instinct. And that's yeah. actually something that's just, that's just something that we have to remember is that is that just because we have an intuition or an instinct to do something doesn't make it right. <laughs> yeah, if it feels good, do we it. Can't just follow, we, we can't just follow the culture and be like, oh, no, this is just how everything's done. We, we actually will have to be different from the culture in how we approach things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because and, as and, he goes on to say, the cross of Christ is foolishness to the wisdom of the world. It just doesn't match. Yeah. 
and and that the, the cross of Christ is actually what binds us together. It is yes. actually what makes us a net. Yes. It is actually what allows us to draw people into the profound mystery yes. that Jesus Christ has entered into every single human profound suffering that we that, that is us and and has broken it and has allowed it actually to pour forth his glory. I mean like he he's even sovereign over the he's sovereign over everything. And yeah. that's and and that's the meaning of the crosses that we we are set free from from judgment that that was justice according to justice due to us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that we're and that now we've actually done a 180, and we are invited into all of this this whole project of what Jesus has done, and we participate in it, which is like it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. That's it, man. Dude, well. Man, I'm sure glad I called you. This is like really pertinent, and uh, I, I called you. I'm sure glad we did this podcast because it's very, very, very pertinent to what I'm doing in this leadership workshop. Workshop workshop. I'm doing good shepherd church. It's totally awesome. If you're a priest listening to it, I highly recommend you um, uh, join it up with the Catholic Leadership Institute and doing it. It's really, it's definitely worth it. Nice man. I will, if I'm ever a priest, I will do that. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, no, I mean. Anyway, it, yeah, yeah. All right, we we love you all. Um, tune in next week. Be sure to tell your friends. Um, there's a lot of people who don't know what podcasts are, and there's a lot of really wonderful content out there. There's a lot and, of people um, who don't even know what computers are. So tell yeah, them, and, tell them what a computer is, and then turn on Lanky Guys for them. <laughs> turn on the Lanky Guys. I showed Arch. I showed Archbishop and uh, Archbishop, and uh, I, I said, uh, oh, "Hey, no. here's look at the, listen to Lanky Guys." No, and. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and so I got him to download the podcast oh, app no. on his iPhone. That's and why I he won't talk him, to me. And yeah, and then and then and then he was like, 45 minutes." <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "I don't have time for that." Oh, well, and I was like, I was "Not like, this week." Not this week. So uh, you know, for those of you who who have 45 minutes, or if you know anybody who has 45 minutes, <laughs> or in our case, 38 minutes this week, then please let them know about us. Let them know, man. All right, everybody. We love you. We will be back next week. Um, we'll be together next week. Together at last. Together at last. My and that's all we got. Uh, send us an email at uh, Thomas Center. Uh, Lanky guys at thomascenter.org. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Pinterest. We have a big, our great big, um, if you're in the Colorado area, we have our great big, our great debate for the Aquinas Institute about the death penalty coming up on the University of Colorado campus um, January 31st. So check that out. We'll put a link on our website and on our Facebook site. So if you're in town, check it out. Um, otherwise, yeah, we'll see you next week. Well, hold on. Shout out, oh, though, yep. to everybody who walked the March for Life on the coldest oh day God. of the universe in Washington, D.C. That's happening right now as we as speak. As we speak. And, and we just want to love on you and tell you that uh, we support life, and we are super happy that you uh, ponied up and you went to, to gather together in, in, uh, in love, in unity. Uh, that's it's bold and it's totally sweet so we just love you and that's that's our shout out absolutely to all of you we thank you for what you're doing all right bye bye everybody see you next week the word on the hill is a production of the aquinas institute for catholic thought here in beautiful boulder colorado www.thomascenter.org you can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org see you next week